Hi, my name is Sam Sheen, and I'm joined as always by my friend and professional colleague, Mary Lindberg, and this is our podcast, Captivated Audience. Rain, rain, go away here in London, Marie. It wouldn't be the 4th of May unless one of us said, May the 4th be with you. (laughs) (laughs) But how are you doing? I am doing quite well. And with that, it is our absolute pleasure to have another friend and professional colleague come back and join us on the podcast. And we have Elizabeth Slim here with us today. How are you doing, Liz? Hello, ladies. It's so wonderful to join you again. And thank you for your kind invitation. I so enjoy, you know, chatting with everybody about this wonderful topic. Well, Liz, we have you on because a lot has been going on in the United States from a regulatory perspective, and so many of our friends work for global institutions, so we thought we had to get you back on and be the babel fish of U.S. regulation for us. So let me do a little bit of a lead in. What we know from this side of the ocean is over there in the U.S. on the 1st of January, 2021, your Senate passed the Anti-Money Laundering Act 2020. And like all good Americans, you guys have another acronym, the AMLA, the AMLA. That's right, Sam. And the AMLA 2020 have also measures ranging from new protections for corporate whistleblowers, that's alike, to beneficial ownership rules for shell companies, just another like, just to name a few. We are so very fortunate to have Liz here today. And could I just ask Liz to refresh the memory to our listeners, who you are, what you do, and where you're currently based? Uh, I am located here in sunny Southern California. I am the senior consultant at the Volkoff Law Firm, where we provide compliance services and ethics services for, you know, a lot of different companies as well as the financial industry. But I'm also, my whole background is 35 years in the financial industry, uh, where I touched on banking operations, uh, compliance, uh, risk management, security, and 15 of those years in the banking world, I was a dedicated anti-money laundering officer at community banks and mid-sized banks, where I was there basically to fix their program because they were in trouble. (laughs) But I'm very well versed in anti-money laundering, as well as the founder and chairperson of the ACAMS Southern California chapter here since 2009. So I've also been a speaker at the ACAMS National Conference and assist them with some of their advanced certification programs. Sam, that sounds like we have the expertise we need in order to dive into this new regulation, doesn't it? It's going to be a CBD session for sure, Marie. So I do have to ask, Liz, before we get going, you know, here in the UK, when we say someone's been jabbed, we mean vaccination. And of course, Marie and myself have been fortunate enough to get our first vaccinations. How about you? I can say I am 100% vaccinated. I had my two, uh, my second Moderna shot back in April 8th. And I'm very happy to say my whole household is vaccinated, including my mother and, and my, my immediate pod. So we're, we're doing well. Thank you for asking. And I excellent. hope you guys too. <laughs> snaps for the Slim family. Excellent. <laughs> excellent. <laughs> Indeed, snaps all around. So, so Liz, in this case, what type of businesses does the AMLA apply to? Is there similar now to the fifth AMLD here in Europe uh, with the obliged entities such as, you know, cryptocurrency, wallet providers, fintechs, gaming companies, gambling and whatnot? Has there been any additions in that remarks too when it comes down to the AMLA? Uh, well, actually, the AMLA Act of t- t- 2020 
is, is very much similar to Europe, but this is also major reforms to the anti-money laundering laws and regulations here in the U.S. The last major change was 20 years ago with the USA Patriot Act, and AML regulations have been in existence for 50 years. So that says a lot that within 50 years, we have not had any major upgrades <laughs> to this regulation to bring it current. So I'm very happy to see that, you know, this was able to pass this year. And yes, it applies similar to, you know, what the European directives say, that any financial industry, including money service businesses, broker dealers, you know, they are regulated under the requirements. It did also bring in the uh, antiquities market as well, where they will soon have to act like an, a financial regulated entity and imply with the AML laws and regulations. And what it does is that there's been guidances issued within, I'd say, the last eight years regarding cryptocurrency. They were only guidance, but effective immediately with the AML Act of 2020, all those guidances now became mandatory for cryptocurrency. So that reigns it in as well. Wow, Liz, that seems like a lot of new companies being regulated. It, it does. It does. And that just opens up this, <laughs> this whole new industry and market as well, you know, for um, learning as well. It's, it's going to be interesting and there's going to be a, a lot of movement to see how the crypto industry, you know, applies their blockchain technology for the travel rule and ensure that they comply with the AML laws in, in terms of conducting the due diligence and understanding what are suspicious transactions, etc., but that's a whole new, you know, mindset for the antiquities market because they were never had to do that. They never applied due diligence. They just accepted the money to purchase the antiquities. Indeed. They don't care who, who the originator was, where the source of funds came. So that's a whole new mindset. But the art dealer um, market, too. That is being reviewed by FinCEN as well, because eventually they're being put on notice that, you know, art market, you're not, you know, don't think you're getting away with it. We're putting you on notice that you're next to comply as well. Absolutely. Especially with 1MDB, there were a few very nice pieces mm -hmm. of art, which uh, were unfortunately purchased through those proceeds yeah. stolen from Malaysia. And I think uh, the DOJ now has to figure out how they're going to liquidate those. They're still trying to decide all that. That's still up in the air, that whole in, uh, issue with the N1MDB. Yes. So in, in this case, I just have to ask, because does the AMLA requirements also then become a requirement for European businesses with branches of sister companies in the U.S.? If a foreign company does establish and conduct business here in the U.S., yes, they are automatically covered. They need to comply with the AML Act. Hmm. Sam? As a registered company in the United States, they will have to comply. Yes. Sam, what's your thought on that? Well, I think it will be interesting from an operational perspective because yeah. people will then need to decide the cost benefit of maintaining operations in the U.S. And for some of them, there is. For some of them, the branch of the sister company they have there does their clearing, essentially. So to lose them would be catastrophic. But for others, they may we may see what happened here with Brexit 
what we saw was a lot of businesses left the UK because they wanted to still have a link to Europe and they landed in different jurisdictions, but they didn't realize the AML requirements were different. So now they're having to do remediation and KYC reviews just to get up to speed. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see what those subsidiaries decide to do if it's worth their while to stay and, and match up with the AMLA's requirements because they may not be identical to Europe's. So interesting times ahead then. And, and everything is still up in the air in general with AMLA. There's all these new laws, new new requirements established. However, it's it's not going to happen right away. It's going to take at least, you know, I would say anywhere from two to five years to see everything take effect. Well, let me ask you about the hottest topic here in Europe, and that's around ownership transparency. What has the AMLA introduced as far as beneficial ownership information is concerned? Well, in terms of the beneficial ownership, what happens now is that finally, because they put the responsibility on financial institutions to conduct due diligence and collect a lot of beneficial ownership information. Here in the United States, we have 50 independent states that act independent of each other. And every state has their own formation requirements to register a legal entity, whether it's a corporation, a limited liability company, a general partnership. So they're they're not all uniform. I hate to say it, but the U.S. never collected beneficial ownership information. So there is no central registry like other nations have. The new AML Act now requires FinCEN to create the central registry now and collect beneficial ownership. So it will be mandated that all reporting companies, uh, once this law goes into effect, which will happen in 2022, it will allow existing companies two years to register beneficial ownership with FinCEN in their central registry and new newly formed companies must register immediately going forward. So this is very a new concept here. FinCEN will have to create uh, a central secure database. They will have to build the infrastructure, the network, the security, the encryption. But this registry too, which differs from the UK is that it is not public, that it is uh, only available to law enforcement, the regulators, and limited access to financial institutions to help them with their due diligence requirements that, to verify who the beneficial owners are. But why? It doesn't make any sense to me because to understand who the person behind the company is and be able to screen that information, you know, against pep lists or whatnot, that seems like, you know, you're defeating the the purpose here. It, why? Exactly. I, I mean, currently what the banks do is that they collect a certification. Our, the legal entity completes a certification to identify who is the you know person that's controlling the entity and if there are beneficial owners that own 25% or more equity interest they collect the name the address and identification that they have to present identification and obtain like a tax id number or something to ver- validate that they are an existing living human being that is the same information that fincen will require when they register who the beneficial owners are for the central registry. How it's verified, I don't know. But also know that for banks going forward, when this registry is up and running, that as I shared, financial institutions will have limited access to the registry to validate 
that the beneficial owner is registered with FinCEN and it matches the information they collected at, when they established an account at their institution. However, the caveat is, is that the company itself must provide a consent to the bank to access the registry. That's and there's so... loopholes, there's exceptions as to who doesn't have to register either with this registry. If they're a publicly traded company, if, if they're a company, let's see, that has 20 um, employees working full time, that uh, their gross revenue receipts in one year is um, over $5 million, that they have a physical office here in the US, they're exempt from registering. And there's a whole list of requirements. Uh, foreign companies that conduct business in the U.S. are required to register beneficial owners. Now, here's a crazy question. So in Guernsey, company formation agents are required to comply with the AML regulations. So they have to do the KYC on the people who come to them to say, please form a company for me. And they have to hold the KYC for the directors holding 25% or more and beneficial owners. Now, we don't do that here in the UK. We impose that on the financial institutions to collect. Does AMLA change any of that, or is it still going to be the financial institutions who have to collect it? Well, they say that the burden is, is that we really won't have to do the verification uh, because it's now you know, housed in the, the central registry of FinCEN. And of course, they built in penalties too if the beneficial owner is false information or they fail to provide the information as a reporting company. So FinCEN will, they have the power to implement those fines and penalties. But again, it's a wait and see as to how this will occur. And right now, I agree, you know, with 50 independent states, everybody's acting differently, different requirements. The new law only states that when a new company registers in whatever state they're uh, forming in, is that the, the state will require to provide them with a notice to register with FinCEN. And here's the link to register. So I understand there's another section in the AMLA. It's specifically in relation to allowing US government agencies to get records from non-US, in other words, foreign banks who are maintaining correspondent accounts in the US. So can you tell us a little bit about that development? Well, currently what is allowed is to only subpoena records from the U.S. correspondent bank account for a foreign um, institution that has a U.S. correspondent bank relationship. Right now, law enforcement here in the U.S. can only subpoena those records. The AML Act expands that reach where the Treasury, the Secretary of the Treasury or the Attorney General can issue a subpoena to any foreign bank that maintains a correspondent uh, account here in the U.S. And it can relate to any account that's within the correspondent account or any account at the foreign bank that includes records maintained outside the U.S. that are subject to an investigation that's of criminal violation, any investigation or forfeiture action, as well as any um, measures that are related to international transactions or types of primary laundering concern. So this reach is huge. And just as, you know, foreign bank, we're going to send you a subpoena and we want records of, you know, this customer that we are investigating. Yes, the foreign bank can probably, you know, say, but that violates my privacy laws. It violates other country laws. But what's built into the AML Act is that 
there is a special wording here that AML provides that such argument shall not be the sole basis to quash or modify the subpoena. The attorney general can, you know, sit in a foreign court and says, regardless, this is built into the AML Act that we can subpoena these records from the uh, foreign account at the foreign country. And another thing that they built into this subpoena power is if the U.S., uh, I'm sorry, if the foreign correspondent bank refuses to comply with the subpoena, then they will order the U.S. bank that's uh, maintaining the correspondent relationship to terminate that relationship. I think that all of our listeners just went like, what? Yes. If they fail to comply with the subpoena, the end result is, is that their relationship with the U.S. correspondent account will be terminated. And there's built-in penalties, too, that maybe if an agent or an employee at the foreign bank notifies the subject that's under investigation that there's a subpoena or, you know, there's inquiry about them, there's penalties built into that, too. Fines in prison. But this is really heavy duty. This doesn't seem to be narrowing the scope of what could be asked for or what it relates to. I'm not sure we wouldn't just end up all getting tangled up with lawyers. I'm not sure the investigations will go that much faster, Marie, because I'm thinking all of a sudden we'll all be lawyer. Well, we won't, but financial institutions will end up lawyering up and investigations actually won't go any faster. It'll just get dragged on even longer, don't you think? Yeah, I can see the litigation being drawn out in foreign courts. But then again, too, the U.S. has that big stick to, to hammer down and said, if you don't comply, we're going to terminate your U.S. correspondent relationship. Well, Liz, there is an interesting pilot also, if I'm not mistaken, in regards to the AMLA Act, right, that is supposed to be increasing information sharing between financial institutions, foreign branches, subsidiaries and affiliates. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because that sounds really interesting as well. Mm. I'm very excited about this. It is a pilot program to last three years, but it can be extended by the Senate committee. Currently, a U.S.-based bank whose affiliate is foreign can share uh, SAR or STR reporting information only with the parent company, not with their affiliates or subsidiaries. And and that's where monies, you know, may move to. But we're blind to that. This pilot program now allows information sharing. They call it cross-border information sharing to promote the collaboration between public and private sector, as well as including sharing information with affiliates and subsidiaries now across the borders. So this is really big, and we're looking forward to that. However, there are prohibitions. We are not allowed to share information with foreign branches or subsidiaries located in the Republic of China, the Russian Federation, or jurisdictions that is considered a state sponsor of terrorism or any sanctioned country. Wow. Again. I mean, for goodness sake, I mean, oh, I mean, I, I, I do, I do understand it to some extent for sure. Right. It yeah. Just, but the bad guys in this case, I mean, they don't care what affiliate or branches or subsidiaries they transact with. They just transact. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I think it'd be brilliant. I think it'd be really fascinating to see how the outcome of this is, because we are still in the early days here of people 
getting comfortable with the notion with very subtle amendments in the 5AMLD to say, yes, you can share your information between your subsidiaries to try and help financial crime, but there's still some jurisdictions whose national data protection laws have not changed enough to make it clear to people, yes, you can really share that information, say, with your branch in Germany or with your head office in Ireland or whatever it is. So I, I think, Marie, it's going to be an interesting one to watch because I don't, I don't think we're there yet here. True that. So that's an, in, that's an interesting thought. Here, we are now allowed to share with our affiliates, but can they share back with us? <laughs> that's a good question. Well, on that very unneighborly-like sounding note, <laughs> we'll explore more with Liz some of the other changes that are introduced by the AMLA and what it means operationally in practice in part two of this podcast. So please join us then.